The Healthcare Quality Cast is powered by the Quality Coaching Company. If you'd like to work with us to earn your Lean Six Sigma for healthcare certification or partner with our innovative corporate training and coaching programs to successfully scale your continuous improvement initiatives, then click the link below to learn more and apply. Hey, quality people, welcome to the Healthcare Quality Cast. I'm your host, Jarvis Gray, and in this podcast, we spotlight today's most exciting and inspiring industry leaders. We dive deep into the career journeys of these leaders that work daily to improve quality, safety, and service outcomes for their patients, their family members, and their communities at large. Our mission is to provide motivation and direction to our listeners, encouraging you all to continue your efforts in improving the overall quality of healthcare. Now, let's meet today's quality guests. Thank you for joining in on another episode of the Healthcare Quality Cast. And today, I'm here with a very special guest, Dr. John Toussaint. John, are you ready to share with some quality people? Absolutely. All right, perfect. Well, John, we we love to start every show with positive affirmations to really get our momentum going. So could you please share a favorite leadership quote or leadership mindset, but tell us why it appeals to you and how do you apply it on a daily basis? I'd like to act my way into a new way of thinking. All right. So you said act or AT or ACT? I'm sorry. ACT. ACT. You have to act your way into a new way of thinking. Okay, interesting. Share more. So the, the idea is that we, as leaders, can only improve if, if we improve our behaviors and actions. And so the only way we can actually do that is to act in a different way. And as we begin to act in a different way, that begins to change our behavior, change the way we think about the world. So there are a number of activities that, it, that it's important for leaders of of improvement to, to be thinking about. And uh, several of those are, are uh, in, in, a, in a new uh, article that I published, but, but basically it's willingness to change. So are we willing to change? Do we have a self-reflection mechanism? Are we willing to go to where the work is done uh, and ask open-ended questions, not tell people what to do, but where value is created, ask open-ended questions. Are we willing to be curious about the work? What's actually going on? Do we really care? Do we want to understand? Uh, are we listening carefully to the people that we that we go to, we, what I call the gimba, which is where value is created for, in, in our case in healthcare, the patient. We want to listen carefully to the people that do the real work and understand. We need to persevere in our attempts to try to improve ourselves as leaders. So we need to have a coach or a buddy or somebody that can give us a, a feedback. And then we actually have to follow some standards. You can't improve anything unless you have a standard that you've established for yourself. And so what is that standard? What is that leader standard work that you use every day, every week to actually you know, know whether you're improving or not? Okay, perfect. No, I, I appreciate that mindset. The, um, you know, when you first said it, my, my brain kind of went into a fake it till you make it mindset. But with, uh, with your explanation there, really what I took away from it is committing to it, even if you're not sure kind of on the front end what that looks like, committing to it and acting your way through to achieve those results, get to that standard that you're setting. Um, so right. perfect. Right. 
All right, awesome way. And, and what I also love in your, your explanation there, John, is so many um, uses of the lean mindset, which is definitely you know one of the areas I love to, to broach on with you. So I'm gonna move us to the next question and, and just ask if you can um, share with us you know, your, your current role, your professional background, and absolutely what led you into that career path. And just giving you the heads up, I may go off script a little bit early and just explore how did you become such an enthusiast for lean and lean principles in healthcare? Well, I'm an internist. I practiced medicine for 20 years. I've, I saw how broken the system was that I was practicing in. I was tired of the the, 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 the lack of reliability, the processes that never seemed to work for patients. And so I got into administration because I felt that uh, that's where I might be able to make some difference and changes in the systems. Uh, and then eventually uh, became the ch uh, chief executive officer of an integrated health system in, in Wisconsin, at which time I started to explore what did quality mean in other industries. I spent a lot of time in, in, in snowblower factories and car factories and battery factories trying to understand how they could produce products that were almost 100% reliable all the time. And I stumbled across this thing called lean thinking, um, organizational excellence, enterprise excellence, whatever you want to call it. It's been around for a long, long time, but it was not in healthcare when I started to, to explore this 20 years ago. So what we did in my health system is we actually applied the principles um, and there are a core set of underlying principles in this methodology. It is a methodology, by the way, it's a, it's a management methodology. It's not a set of tools, it's a management methodology. And I began to explore that methodology and, and start to apply those principles uh, within my own organization. And we had tremendous results. We had, uh, you know, best, uh, highest quality ACO in the nation for a few years in a row. We had lowest cost. I mean, it was, it was incredible. So I decided to step down from my CEO role to form uh, a not-for-profit education institute that's called Catalysis. And for the last dozen years, I've been teaching, coaching, um, facilitating the learning of uh, a network of uh, leaders across the world to actually understand this methodology because it really works and it really works a lot better than the way most health organizations are run today. Tremendous, tremendous overview with, you know, the way you've gotten started and, and really the impact. I'll, I'll share with you, John, um, and, and maybe this is part sharing, part story, um, but for myself, I am a healthcare quality improvement professional. I've been in healthcare 14, almost 15 years now, and Having started my, my career path at Duke University Hospital, I've worked with other big names across the country over, the, over my career. Um, I've heard of so much you know, about the good things that have come from your previous organization, um, learning about you through many of your publications, your books, um, management and, uh, or excuse me, On the Mend and Management on the Mend were two that are right over here on my bookshelf. Um, so for me, it's almost, you know, just from me to you, John, it's like I'm talking to a real legend about the, the areas that I'm very passionate about within healthcare. Um, to your point about the management system that is lean and, and from my experience, unfortunately, many healthcare organizations um, are still trying to figure it out. They struggle. Nobody, to my knowledge, has just got it. 
but that's almost kind of the myth as I've heard it about you and many of your experiences over the past uh, couple of decades in doing this. Would you have any insights just around, um, you know, what was that experience like being a healthcare executive leading something that still to this day, kind of many organizations are trying to figure out any quick insights just before we dive more into your specific story, but what can you share for our leaders that plug in with this conversation on how to get, you know, how to get there from your experiences? Yeah, I think you have to, you know, I mean, you, you were at Duke, Duke's doing a lot of really good work on this right now. I, I, you, you have to come at it from what's your purpose. Um, my purpose was to uh, understand how to deliver more reliable, higher quality, lower cost care to patients because we weren't reliable and we, we, we cost too much and patients weren't satisfied. So that's, that was my purpose. And if you come at it from that purpose, then you have to figure out what is the methodology that you're going to uh, apply to actually achieve that. And the fact is that most management of healthcare today doesn't follow any standard. It's sort of like you get a job and it's like they throw you into the job and say, good luck, I'll tell you whether you're doing a good job or not uh, later. Uh, but you have no specific training, you have no standards, there's no management system. It's all just the wild, wild west. And what I learned was that you can't manage an organization effectively with that attitude. You actually have to create a management system. And the thing about lean thinking is that it, it allows you to, to direct your energy as a leader and a manager in very specific ways, very specific standards. And when you apply that to management, just like when you apply it to clinical medicine standards, guess what happens? You get better because those standards allow you then to improve performance. You know, quality improvement 101 is, you know, uh, stabilize, standardize, improve. If you can't, if you don't have any standards, you can't improve. So that goes for management as well as clinical medicine. Right. Exceptionally well said. Um, one more quick, um, one more quick uh, question slash thought out there for you, but I know through your current organization, you know, you all are pumping out a lot of really solid content um, and you have your own podcast as well. Just wanted to um, maybe give you a second. Would you be open to highlighting that? So again, our listeners can uh, not only check out this episode with you, but even plug in with some of the content that you all are doing on your, on your side. Yeah, so the, the Not-for-Profit Education Institute is called Catalysis, uh, and uh, it's at uh, createvalue.org. And you can, we have many, many uh, papers, uh, blogs that you can download for free. We have a number of white papers that, that address a lot of the, a lot of the issues in, in lean management. We do regular podcasts. Those are all recorded. You can go and listen to, you know, famous people and not so famous people, but all with good messages. And, uh, and we have a conference that we run every year. We just finished it. It was virtual this year. It's the Lean Transformation Summit. Next year, it'll be in Salt Lake City. And then we have a number of books that we've written. We just wrote a new book called Becoming the Change, which is about the personal Kaizen or personal improvement uh, that, that's required for leaders to really drive a continuous improvement culture. So there's a lot of things on that website that, you know, I think 
people find tremendous value. And we also do uh, sharing sessions with organizations that are on this journey of, of organizational excellence. And we have 50 recorded sharing sessions from, from health systems around the world uh, that you can learn a lot of different things depending on what your interest is. Wonderful. No, thank you for the those extra resources early in just early in this conversation. Um, again, John, you know, when I first started this podcast, um, I came up with my list of hopeful, you know, leaders to pull on. Um, you were right there on it. So appreciate those resources, the work you're leading, and again, just the time to connect further with you today. So um, awesome. Um, let me move you to the next question on here. And John, this is a question that uh, we've been calling the dark place question. So um, I love if you can share with us a, a story from your journey as a healthcare leader that you would consider your best moment of failure. Um, take us through that story, share with us, you know, the ins and outs, but most importantly, the major lessons learned that you took from it. Well, I've had many failures. I mean, the reality is that's how we learn the best is when we fail. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, in healthcare, uh, failure is considered to be uh, uh, career ending. But the reality is that most of us learned the best from them. I think when early on when I <clears throat> took over as the CEO, I got a call from one of the managers in oncology and she asked me to come over and, and take a look at something. And I said, well, what is it? She says, you just got to come and see this. So I went over to the oncology unit and she had this little step stool and she stepped up and she pushed the ceiling up and there was $1,500 worth of, of supplies that had been hoarded in the ceiling in the oncology unit. And we kind of looked at those supplies and they were all things that, that um, the, you know, the nurses couldn't find sometimes. And so they had to go hoard them because they couldn't find them. And, you know, I remember driving back to my office thinking, you know, this system is broken and I'm in charge. And so that led us to a whole number of experiments around how do we make sure that every single thing that a, that a clinician needs is right there in front of them. We actually built uh, experimental rooms where we could actually uh, create the supply system from outside the room that they had these drawers that would pull out. And we had a Kanban system where, the, where uh, um, somebody from an, uh, our supply group would come and fill the supply so that every single thing that a nurse needed to take care of a patient was always in the room 100% of the time. That improved our nursing productivity dramatically. It, it improved our uh, employee satisfaction dramatically. But the point was that, you know, when you're a leader and you see these things, you see these pure failures, right? That's a failure of leadership. And that's, you know, that's, I think the, that's the reflection for me was if the nurses have to hoard supplies, then I have failed as a leader. And so we spent a lot of time trying to fix that problem, which we, you know, we did a pretty good job of that. So, I appreciate that. And uh, another part of my background, John, is um, I'm a former sports guy. So played football most of my life all the way through college. And so I, I kind of approached my entire career from a, you know, a sports mindset where leadership, coaching, you know, that's always kind of at the forefront of everything for successful teams. And that's very much what I took from your story, too. Um, obviously, if you're if you're in an organization where those things are happening, it could be that reflection directly to leadership 
And so we've been fortunate through this podcast to build an audience mostly of mid-careerists all the way up to the executive suites. And so I, I love to ask this with, you know, with them in mind specifically, and maybe even some of the up-and-comers who may plug in with this conversation, but where do leaders start from your, again, from your experience on this, but where do leaders start to get better with plugging in in a way that things like that don't happen? Um, my, my mind immediately go to you. You've already kind of mentioned the Gimba and just getting out and being a part of your teams on a daily basis. But what, I guess that that's kind of the question, like where do leaders start to ensure that? Because I'm sure that is not a one-time deal at your facility. That's probably happening in a lot of places, especially throughout the pandemic too, I can see. Um, I don't know, let me know if that makes sense. Uh, I hope it's not a big question, but your story was really good and it kind of took me to that place, I guess. Yeah, well, I, I think it starts with principles. I mean, what what are the principles by which, you know, what what's the philosophy, what's, what is your management philosophy? And, and what is your management philosophy based on? And I think it starts with principles and, you know, one of the key principles to in lean thinking is respect for people. So if you truly respect the people that that work in your organization, then you're going to remove barriers. You're going to make sure that the nurses have the supplies they need. You're going to make sure that that um, people come to work that, that that the people that come to work for you every day do work that gives their life meaning, uh, and rather than makes their life miserable. And so I think it starts with a set of principles. And we espouse at Catalysis the Shingo principles, which are sort of fundamental. You know, if you, if you look at the Deming's 14 points or the Toyota 14 principles or the Shingo 10 principles, they're all relatively similar. I mean, it's, you know, respect for people, continuous improvement, pursue perfection, you know, make sure that there's quality at the source, think systemically, define purpose. I mean, these are all core principles to running a great organization and they've been they've been around forever not forever but for a long time and if you look at great companies great companies have a set of core principles that are the foundation of their management system so from a leadership perspective that's where i would start it's like what are the, what are your principles you know what's your purpose as a leader and then what are your principles because from there you can build systems you can you can begin to define behaviors, uh, all those sorts of things, but it starts with that bedrock and you have to define what that bedrock is for you. All right, fantastic. And the core in a lot of that as well, I think is having the courage to set those principles in leadership positions and, and letting your teams know, um, you know what those principles are and building from that point on. So um, awesome, awesome sharing there. Yeah, yes. I mean, I'll, give you, I'll give you an example. Eric Dixon, who is the CEO at UMass uh, in Worcester, Massachusetts. I mean, during the pandemic, they had a lot of people that were idled because a lot of the outpatient services were, you know, were, were, uh, were not working. And so, you know, in a lot of health systems, they just laid those people off. Yeah. Eric went to his board and said, you know what, this is going to cost us some money. I mean, we're talking millions but we're not going to lay anybody off because that is the ultimate disrespect for people to do that. And so, you know, he was able to use a, a lot of those staff members to, you know, make PPE and to do other work that was necessary to support the, you know, the frontline in the ICU and those sorts of things. 
so he he repurposed you know uh, uh, some people's jobs but the but 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 the fundamental principle he went back to the fundamental principle of respect for people and said we're not going to lay anybody off and that has gone a long way for that culture there to be you know one of the really great places to work now wonderful great story there great example um, and, and really that core takeaway leadership principles um, great sharing and I want to move you about the dark place John to um, my next question which um, I love if you could share with our quality people a tip tool or tactic that you found works really well for building intimate connections with the teams that you've led uh, share with us what it is and how do you apply it listen listening is not waiting to talk so when I mean when I say listen I mean listen with empathy so are you really listening to what the frontline worker is trying to tell you? Or are you just waiting to tell them what to do? So I think the absolute most important thing in building a trusting relationship with, uh, with folks that are doing the value adding work is to listen. And then once you deeply understand what they're saying, then you take that information and you begin to build something new or something different or you know address whatever that that issue may be but i just don't think we step back and listen and then and then there's the 10 second rule which is if you ask a question you wait 10 seconds before you go on to something else because people have to take time to you know for, first of all the, get the courage up to actually give you an answer but secondly, it's a time to, to think about it. So my number one thing, listen. Perfectly stated. And I, I love too that you, you also mentioned listening and then following through, but to your point, listening, very, very impactful. Um, I'd say as a quality improvement you know, facilitator on my side, listening is also one of those superpowers when we're doing events, projects, hearing you know all the the different voices in the room and then connecting the dots so that all of that can be pulled into whatever solution we're targeting um great takeaway there right i agree next uh next question i have for you is i love if you could share with us one of the best aha moments that you've had as a healthcare leader but again share with us the story um how did the idea strike you and definitely if you're able to turn it into a personal or professional success I went to, uh, so when I was CEO, I, I, I went to the Gimba to where values created regularly, at least once a week. And so on one of my, and I would generally go unannounced. Uh, and what I would do is I go to the unit or the clinic and I just ask, can I, can I observe, can I, you know, see what you're all the good work you're doing. And so I went to the ICU one day in one of our hospitals and I asked the ICU nurse if I could, um, you know, observe her doing the work and she was you know she had like all these incredible people uh, multitasking you know she had a family in one corner of this little tiny room who, who, who were quite upset because their young son had been in an accident and he was on a ventilator and and so but yet she was still trying to manage the whole you know the ventilator and the oxygen and she had to reach over the head of the bed to, to try to get to the to the oxygen unit and I mean this the ergonomic disaster of this room was just incredible to me and I observed that for about a half an hour and all the great stuff she did for the family and, and this patient 
And then I went back to my senior management team the, the next day, and we had, uh, we had proposed a $90 million building project in that hospital uh, to rebuild. It was an old hospital to rebuild a number of the rooms so that we could get these supplies, you know, to the front line and all the rest of that. But we had decided not to actually work in the ICU. In other, in other words, build new ICU rooms. And I went back to that meeting and I said, have any of you actually been in the ICU rooms at Theta Clark? They're a disaster. And I just observed this, this nurse, you know, basically it was, a, it was an athletic event to take care of this patient because it's so badly designed. So if we're gonna take a $90 million, you know, bond uh, to the board, why don't we just make it 94? and do the ICU so that if we're thinking about respect for that nurse, she actually has the equipment she needs to do her work. And, you know, it was like this aha moment of everybody in the room saying, well, yeah, I mean, that's stupid. Why didn't we? So anyway, we went back to the board with an amended, you know, uh, proposal, which they ultimately approved, but it all went back to me sitting in the room watching a nurse do her work. That changed my uh, whole strategic mindset. Wonderful. And we've had a number of conversations, you know, with other guests talking about the Gimba um, best practices, how to just approach going to the Gimba, you know, mindset that you want to get in when you go to connect with your teams, connect with your patients and customers. Um, I'm just curious to ask, John, what's what's your approach when you go to the Gimba? You mentioned you go unannounced, but do you kind of go with a specific aim or goal to, you know, for the things you want to see and learn and the people you want to connect with? That's a really important question. And, and, and the reason is that you do have to have a reason to go to the Gimba. Um, in the example I just gave you, my reason was to deeply understand. I wasn't there to coach. I was there to understand because I didn't know what was going on. So you have to decide, you know, when you go to the Gimba, are you going to go to, to coach, which is absolutely, you know, reasonable. And that's, that's what leaders need to do is be, is be coaches. Are you going to go to learn? Uh, are you going to go to, um, you know, uh, to provide some other value? In other words, maybe you've heard there's some serious barrier uh, someplace and you need to go understand that and then provide um, you know, some support. So you have to decide as a leader, why are you going to the Gimba? Because just to go and slap people on the back and shake their hands, that's useless. You have to go with purpose. And so you have to ask yourself, what is that purpose? Um, I've always been a fan personally of you know, when I was working within facilities still before kind of leaving the corporate side to do my to do my own business here, um, I'd have coaching sessions for my executives or for my directors taking a day before their gimbal walks to just coach them up. Because the one thing I never that I personally didn't enjoy seeing were leaders going with the checklist of things to look for. So I always worked with my teams also to remove the checklist and so they could have a little bit more of an authentic experience. They still, you know, took their notepad so they can capture ideas, capture the names of people or, or follow up actions. But um, just want to throw that out there for our, our listeners. Um, consider that as well. The, the Gimba 
visits to the best of your abilities, make them as authentic as possible. Um, so folks aren't reading scripts or checklists and they can really engage. Yeah, I think the key is from a leadership perspective, what is the question that I'm going to ask that's going to unleash the creativity of the people? What is the question? I think the hardest part about being a, a, a great leader is asking the right question. And so that's the other thing to think about uh, when you go to the Gemba. What question are you going to ask that's actually going to unleash the creativity of the people there to solve problems? That's wonderful. I've never heard it addressed like that, but I, I love that mindset, unleash the creativity to solve problems. That's That can be very impactful. Awesome. Um, next question I have for you, John, what are what are some of the changes going on across the healthcare industry right now that you're personally excited about? And what role do you see quality professionals, and really I'll, I'll kind of expand that maybe to healthcare leaders playing to promote it or support its longevity? Well, I think, you know, one of the fundamental flaws of our system is the, the incentives. Uh, we have very perverse incentives. And a lot of that's driven by our fee-for-service mindset of keeping heads in beds and all that kind of stuff. So volume over value. So what I'm seeing now is there are some states and some areas where actually we're beginning, there's some thought to move to population health, population health value-based incentive systems. And I, I firmly believe that if we would move to um, that type of incentive, so move away from, you know, pay for peace to pay for health and pay for population health improvement, that that would really allow those of us that have been working in quality for all these years, um, the space to actually do the right thing. Because now we could actually think about the entire patient experience. We can get upstream of, of health problems. We can we can work on social determinants of health. We can do the things that need to be done in a community to actually improve the health of the people in the community. Right now, we have absolutely no incentive to improve the health of the people in the community. So I, I think whether it's global budgets or you know some sort of uh, you know per member per month payments or whatever, if we could move to a different incentive system, this quality work that we're talking about would absolutely explode. Because now what we're going to be focused on is taking waste out of the system. And what we're going to be focused on is actually getting upstream of, of, of disease and of, of, of problems so that we can keep hospitals, you know, empty, not full, so that we can keep people uh, on a health track rather than on a sickness track. So that I am excited about that. Of course, I've been excited about that for years and it hasn't happened. Um, but it, it seems to me now that maybe, just maybe, there's some interest in, in, um, in this. And I, I've been working with George Halverson and Gail Walensky and a number of other uh, economists on this. We, we, we've created something called the Better Care Plan, and uh, which, really help, which really starts to move these incentives to more of a population-based uh, incentive system, uh, which then I think will, will really drive leaders in healthcare to think about what is the method of management that's going to allow me to uh, get every one of my healthcare workers to solve problems every day and to get upstream of disease. Well, and John, I, I appreciate that. I love the mindset and agree that um, this movement 
hopefully will come faster, especially again, coming, hopefully coming out of the pandemic here. Um, you know, I'm sure we will in the upcoming months. From, from my, my background, knowledge and research on you specifically, I've learned that, you know, you've also been a huge part of creating large collaborative groups, um, the Wisconsin Collaborative, your health information organization, you just mentioned the, the Better Care Plan. Um, would love just to, if you could maybe highlight, um, you know, for our audience and for other leaders that are plugging in, how could they go about also maybe taking the initiative just to pull leaders together to brainstorm, to create the vision for the future. Um, as you know, again, as I read into some of the things you've done with your career path, how can other leaders start to, to emulate that or kind of pull that into their states or their organizations or, or their, their local legislation even? Yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty, I, I think that's dependent on, you know, on your community, on, on where your state, what, you know, what, what are the biggest problems? And, you know, healthcare leaders have a lot of influence uh, within their communities. Um, and so, you know, we had some very specific issues in the, in the state of Wisconsin that I, that I wanted to work on. Uh, one was the transparency of healthcare um, um, outcomes. We didn't have that 20 years ago. And so we built the Wisconsin Collaborative for Healthcare Quality by, you know, I just called up a few of my CEO friends and said, hey, I think we need to do something. And they agreed and we got together and, you know, the rest is history. Same thing with the Wisconsin Health Information Organization, which is an all claims pay, uh, uh, payer database. We, I, I brought together the insurance executives in the state and we dumped all of the claims into one spot. I think, you know, again, I do think it's healthcare leaders' responsibility to look at community needs, uh, statewide and community needs, and to build collaboration. Um, competitors can collaborate when it when it's you know when it when it's about things that don't matter from a competitive standpoint. So, for example, social determinants of health or food security. I mean, why would we compete on that? Yet, it's a critical. So why don't we collaborate and try to figure out some of those things and work together and use our resources. So I do think it's very specific to where, you know, what your community is and what the needs are, but healthcare leaders have tremendous uh, influence. And I would really highly recommend that every one of you that are listening to this, get involved in something in your community that's gonna you know, create uh, value for that community. Absolutely. And um, just to to double down on everything you shared there. Um, so I'm based out of Atlanta, Georgia, and I've been here about eight years now. Uh, when I first moved here, of course, didn't know any of the professionals. So I just simply went to meetup.org, created a simple profile, and then started doing um, just, you know, in-person meetups um, just to get started. Literally coffee, lean coffee events at coffee shops and that slowly but surely has grown into a podcast now that I get to connect with other leaders and we get to spread the word in a number of different ways for leadership, healthcare leaders and, and quality improvement. Um, so I just want to double down. Like it's as easy as just sending out a few emails. Like you said, you just hit up a couple of your CEO friends and pulled it together. So phenomenal. Yeah. Like I think the important thing is do something, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, John, how can the healthcare industry itself become a better, more attractive place for ambitious leaders, ambitious quality professionals to uh, start or grow their careers? Well, I mean, if you look at the, 
sort of the two most important industries in my mind, healthcare and education. Um, I think most of us are drawn to healthcare because we want to help people. And so that driving force is kind of our mission based work, right? But then how do we actually create um, effective healthcare organizations? I think that that is the leader's responsibility. And that's where we get, we come back to these principles because if you if you begin to define those principles for your for your organization, uh, and one of those principles is respect for people, um, and and another one is continuous improvement, that's how you're going to attract people. Because I haven't met anybody that has been exposed to those two principles and what the actions that those two principles dictate that didn't want to work in in that system i have been exposed to a lot of people that didn't you know live in a system like that and were burned out and didn't want to work anymore and it you know um so i think again what we've got to do in the industry is to apply these principles of continuous improvement and and build hope that um you know, that, that we can create an environment that, you know, when people come to work every day, that they do work that gives their life meaning. And I, and I do think that, and that's a direct quote from Paul O'Neill, by the way, who's one of my mentors. Um, and uh, I do think that we have a responsibility to really create great organizations that people do want to work in for the right reasons. And it's not about, you um, financial, you know, how much money we're going to make this year. It's about what kind of environment are we creating so that we can get the creativity of our staff to solve problems and the money will come along if you can just do that. So that really becomes more of a cultural, I think, question, you know, what kind of culture needs to be created to get people to want to continue to come to work and do great work and then solve problems. And, and I think we have a pretty good idea of what that culture is and how to build it. All right, fantastic. I, I love that feedback and it puts me in this um, mindset. I, I just came across a quote uh, while listening to an audio book a few days ago that we can get to where we wanna be by helping others get to where they wanna be. And so to your point, creating an organization where, where caretakers and other leaders can be their best um, will absolutely put the organization where it needs to be long-term as well. So um, that's that's kind of where my mind went with that, but um, fantastic. And, and John, we are, we are right there at the halfway point of our show. I'm gonna transition us into a part of the show that I call the two minute drill, which is kind of my take on a uh, rapid fire Q and A from my old football days. But before we move forward, we'd love to just kind of check and see how, how are you feeling? You ready to rock? Let's keep going. <laughs> All right, uh, John, the next question I have for you is something of a two-parter where I first love for you to share with our, our quality people. Um, what is it about your current role that inspires you to do your best, but then also share with us how do you inspire others within your organization? I'm inspired by the incredible people that I get to uh, interact with all over the world. I done work in South Africa, public hospitals there. We've met some fantastic leaders. Uh, same thing in Europe, Canada, United States. 
So I get I get to to really to to work with some of the most talented people in the world. And the way I inspire them, because you know, these people are really, really outstanding. Um, and the way I try to inspire them is ask them the right question. And that is hard to do when you're talking about the top of the top. Um, so I have to do my homework to understand where they are on their thinking and learning journey. So that the one question that I ask them unleashes their creativity to go to the next level. So that's my challenge. And that, that's always, uh, that always makes me nervous, frankly. Um, but, you know, little nerves is good, especially if you're going to play football. And, you know, if you're not nervous before the game, then you're probably going to lose. No, fair enough. Well, in all fairness, um, again, I already mentioned that you were very high on my list of leaders to reach out to. And imagine my nerves jumping onto this call with you ahead of time. But um, that that kind of gets our focus going. So <laughs> so I'm honored to hear that you get nervous, too, doing the same thing in your world. So this <laughs> Um, John, what's the, uh, what's the best piece of career advice that you've ever received? Uh, I think it was that I needed to change my behavior and I didn't really know how to do that. So I've spent a lot of time trying to understand kind of what makes us work as human beings to, to, to be able and, and willing to do that. Uh, I was a very, uh, you know, intense, uh, very type quadruple A, knows all, of, you know, all knowing, you know, trained in the greatest university in the world, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, and that came across very negatively when it was when I when I got into management, because, you know, um, that's just not how good managers uh, act. So I really had to change my, my behavior. And, and, I, and it comes back, and, and I, one of the things that really helped me with that was to, again, I keep coming back to these principles, but, you know, once you understand the principles of great management, then it begins to give you a framework for what that behavior should be. And it, like I explained in our, in our most recent book of Becoming the Change, we have a whole series of, of tools in there that you can use to actually begin to change your behavior. But that's the most important uh, you know, lesson as a, as a leader that I learned that in order to create a culture of continuous improvement, I had to change my own behavior. Wonderful, great, great insights there. And again, just you know, from our, our conversation so far, I, I definitely get the impression you are a very principled, very disciplined leader. Um, for, for your approach to everything. So I was shocked to hear that feedback, but the way you explained it again, um, great insight for folks that are still developing their leadership principles and, and their, their leadership future is gonna be based on a lot of what you just shared there. So thank you. Yeah, personal Kaizen is really important, personal improvement. And I don't think we spend enough time on that uh, as leaders. You know, we don't, we don't take time to self-reflect. We don't take time to to, to, to work on ourselves. We don't take time to have a, a coach or a buddy to give us feedback. We need to do that because, you know, we're our own best and worst uh, critics. And, and if we take the time to really step back and say what's working and what's not working and what I'm doing, uh, it, it, it has a big impact on, on how you think. Again, I want to act my way into a new way of thinking. So.
Wonderful. Love it. Um, this next question I have for you should be interesting uh, to see kind of where you go with it. But if you could trade jobs with anyone in your organization, with whom would it be and why? Well, my organization is a little tiny education institute. So, uh, you know, we're all pretty uh, focused on kind of what we do. Uh, so I, I guess maybe it would be better to think about it. And I've run what, six or seven different companies. So let's go back to the integrated delivery system that I ran. Um, I would always, and I told people this, I would much rather be uh, an improvement facilitator than the CEO. Um, because to me, that's where the action and the fun is, is to actually work with teams to, uh, you know, have them identify you know, value stream of process, create a new ideal state, you know, go from where we are today to where we're going in the future and to work with the people that do the real work uh, to create something new. Um, to me, that was always the most exciting part. Even so as a CEO, I would sit on events, you know, value streams or improvement, you know, Kaizen event, whatever. And any time that I had spending doing that was way, 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 way more fun than sitting in that office as the CEO. Awesome. Again, I, I love hearing that personally because I led my healthcare career up until a point where I was starting to do interviews for C-level positions. And I started really reflecting and thinking, I think I'd rather still do projects. So um, again, here I am now trying to run my own consulting business to help people do projects. Um, so you're on the right side of everything <laughs> with that one. Um, but no, thank you for that. and. The next question I have for you here, what are some personal habits that contribute to your success when leading quality improvement initiatives? Well, I think we've talked a lot about those already, but I, I think that, you know, leading with humility is really important. I think when you go into a situation and you're humble and you, you know, you, you, you explain to people that you really don't know the answer. Uh, and so we're all going to learn together is, is really important. Don't come in with a canned answer. In other words, I think, uh, you know, we talked about listening um, carefully, empathetically. Um, we haven't talked about A3 thinking. Uh, that to me is a critical, uh, you know, an A3 is simply the size of the paper, but it's actually explaining a problem, the background and current state of a problem. Uh, and, you know, the analysis of that problem uh, on the left side of the 11 by 17 piece of paper and, and really working that hard before you ever go to the right side, which is where you start to look at, you know, countermeasures or solutions that you might try. The biggest problem leaders have is they want to jump to the solution before they understand the problem. So I think that's the other important thing, uh, both from an improvement professional standpoint, but also from a leader point is, is really understand the current state, background, current state, problem you're trying to solve and why that problem exists before you go trying to solve for it. And so that, to me, you know, for me, that was really, really important as a leader to, cause I was always jumping to solutions and generally most of them were wrong. Um, so until you really understand things, understand the current state, uh, and oh, by the way, write a problem statement that doesn't have a solution in it. That's hard to do. <laughs> it's hard to do. Absolutely. You know? It's hard to do. 
right. No, I love that. And as you shared that, you you put me in a place. So I don't think we've highlighted A3s enough on this podcast. So um, just typing up a quick note, I might have to figure out how to work that focus. And, and if not A3s, um, formal, very structured problem-solving approaches, but A3 is the king in my world. So um, so thank you for that, that reflection there too. Um, next question I have for you is, uh, what is your go-to website or mobile application for executing on the work that you lead? Well, I mean, that's really our website. You know, we created that website, createvalue.org, to really help uh, quality improvement professionals and leaders to understand uh, a whole lot of, 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 of things. And, and frankly, I go there because I want to listen to, you know, a number of the organizations that we have present webinars and things about the work that they're doing. And especially during the pandemic, when I couldn't go to the Gemba, you know, I relied on those presentations to understand, you know, what good work was going on. So there's a lot of things that I can learn from, from that website, uh, in addition to the things that we post on there um, about others' work. And I, and I think that's what this really is, is how do we learn from what other people are learning uh, and then spread that. Um, you know, across the industry. And that's really what the Catalysis website is, is a, is a collaborative um, learning site for everyone that's interested in, in organizational excellence. Perfect. And if it's okay with you, I'll, um, I'll add a link to the website, to the show when we get it posted for you, um, as well as, as well as your podcast as well. Um, Next question I have for you is if you could please share with our quality people, a professional society, and a professional conference that you think would be a value add? Um, well, professional society, you know, I mean, I think that there are a couple really good, I wouldn't call them societies, okay? I would call them communities. Sure. There's, there's the shingo.org um, uh, website, which is a community at Utah State University, which we collaborate, collaborate with a lot. Now, they're involved very much in, in manufacturing work, but they have some healthcare. But, but the, 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 what's there, what they've created is fabulous. And so their, their um, materials and publications and everything else is just right on in my mind. The other place is the Lean Enterprise Institute. And of course, that's got a worldwide, uh, again, you know, mainly manufacturing financials and, and not prof, non-for-profits uh, uh, following, but they have terrific materials. You know, I, my first book was published by them. They have what, lots of fantastic uh, materials, books, uh, you know, workshops. So I think, you know, those are two places to pull from that, again, like our website, you can come, go and get a whole lot of stuff for free. And, um, and you can, I think, learn a lot from those two. Um, and the second part of that question was uh, conferences. So um, again, I wanna, uh, we, we bring together the healthcare community around lean thinking once a year. And it's, it's at the Lean Healthcare Transformation Summit. If you wanna meet people that are really doing it and the presentations are all by practitioners. So we have people from Intermountain and Cleveland Clinic and Kaiser Permanente and you name it, uh, we go out and find the best of the best. And that's, you know, those are the presenters. 
but the important thing is if you're really if you're really serious about this methodology is the networking right and i think we've all missed that from our conferences is not being able to network with our colleagues so our next one will be in in june it's it'll be on the website again createvalue.org but i think that's a really you know we get six seven eight hundred people that go to that and they're all learning from each other so um that's that would be what I would recommend if you're interested in what I'm talking about. And you mentioned the one this year, it was virtual. Um, is there any way that folks would be able to access any other recordings that came from there? Yes, if you go at, on our website, we are in the process of, 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 of putting uh, a number of those, um, of those presentations online. And uh, you, can, you can email us or um, I, I frankly haven't looked at it this week to see if they're up there yet, but uh, but it was all recorded, so it will be available uh, some some point soon. Perfect. And John, if you could recommend one book for our quality people, what would it be and why? Um, I think it would probably be uh, Beyond Heroes, uh, and that's a book that my colleague Kim Barnes wrote, and it's a book about lean management. And there are a lot of very good um, details about how to build a management system, the standard work of a management system, how it's supposed to function, the layers of, you know, organizational layers, how it, how it responds, what's the catch ball system, the dialogue that goes back and forth, up and down. Uh, it's a Shingo award-winning book. And um, I think that's probably, if you're in the, if you're in the business of managing quality, um, you probably ought to read what I think is the best management system book uh, for managing quality. Okay, wonderful. And John, we are right there. So the last question on the list here, but um, this is a personal favor because I'm gonna try to get you to reflect on your past while also looking forward to your future. So let's say that you're able to send yourself one text message 10 years into the past, and one text message 10 years into the future, take a second and think about it, but what would you communicate in each one of those uh, text messages? Well, I think in the past, I would say, uh, stick with it, lean management works in healthcare. Because I've been through quite a few trials and tribulations and arguments with healthcare leaders in many institutions. But what we now know, and it was published this in May, is that if you are serious about this methodology, I mean, you're actually applying this methodology, you have better patient satisfaction, you have lower costs, you have better profitability, you have fewer unnecessary tests, and uh, you have better quality. And that was published from UC Berkeley. It's a, you know, it's the, it's, it's the paper that sort of is the end all, end all to say, yes, lean works in healthcare, so shut up and just do it. Um, so that, that would be the, the text to the past is stick with it. It's hard, but it's worth it. And I think the future is, um, it's an interesting question for the future. Um, I, I think that what I would want to say is that, that um, the, the incentive system has changed so that now we, as quality leaders have the incentive uh, that our organizations have the incentive to improve everything and that the ultimate improvement um, outcome is 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 respecting 
respect for people, which means that we allow them to solve the problems. So I'm hoping that we get the incentive aligned so that we can get off of this, you know, quality doesn't, we don't make any money in quality, so we don't care. And to, hey, quality is the only way we're going to make any money. Uh, and I think that, you know, that'd be wonderful if we could, if we could be there in 10 years. Well, um, you know, John, through your leadership, through the leadership of your, your team over at Catalysis, um, you know, the information you're putting out through your books, my hope, my prayers is that, you know, we absolutely get there, um, hopefully not in 10 years, hopefully faster in the coming years for healthcare. But, um, you know, just conversations like this, um, you know, and everything else, all the great work you're doing, and, and hopefully all the great work all of our listeners are doing, it's it's going to get there. Um, I just want to let you know, I, I appreciate you tremendously for this time and chance to um, officially kind of meet one of my healthcare heroes and, and folks that I look up to with the work that I'm leading. Um, John, before I let you off the line today, I'd love if you could leave our quality people with that parting piece of advice. Um, share with us how we can connect or follow you through social media, and then we'll officially sign off. Great. Thanks, Joe. Uh, I would say um, stay humble and ask good questions. And my um, social media contacts are Twitter account is at John Toussaint, T-O-U-S-S-A-I-N-T-M-D. And my LinkedIn is uh, linkedin.com backslash in backslash John Toussaint. Perfect. Well, John, thank you so much again. And to our quality people everywhere, thank you all for listening and making us a part of your day. This is Jarvis and Dr. John Toussaint, and we're signing off. Quality people, thank you so much again for plugging in with today's episode. If you enjoyed it, please feel free to share it using the social media link posted in the notes below. I'd also be very grateful if you could subscribe, give us a rating, and also share feedback on what additional value we can bring to you through this podcast. That helps a lot with our show rankings and also with getting this great content out to healthcare leaders around the world. And if you want to engage with me directly, then please connect with me on LinkedIn, where I share additional resources, access to our QI community, and much more. All right, quality people, thank you again, and I'll see you back here next week when I introduce you to another quality guest.